Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. As everyone knows, uh, coming off of um, uh, GH Fan Club Weekend yesterday, unfortunately, Robert Kelker Kelly couldn't join us over there yesterday, and uh, we have him on the on the airwaves tonight. Daytime audiences know Kelker Kelly from his first role in daytime as Sam Fowler on the now defunct uh, daytime drama. Another World. His next daytime role, the role of Bo Brady on the daytime drama Days of Our Lives, when he took over the role from Peter Reckle. He was in the role for three years and replaced when Peter Reckle decided to resume the role. After a return to his former soap, Another World, playing a new character with dual roles, Robert joined the cast of Daytime General Hospital in the role of Stavros Cassidyne, which led to guest spots as, as Stavros for the next three years. Most recently, Telker Kelly returned to General Hospital, reprising the role of Stavros Kastanite for the show's 50th anniversary, which is his favorite to play, I might add. In addition to Telker Kelly's acting roles, he is also an experienced pilot. His piloting career has been varied as well. Instructor, pipeline pilot, street dog, and now biz jet pilot. He flies Learjet 60s for a charter company in St. Louis, Missouri, and has flown all over the northern hemisphere, Grenada to northern Canada. He also picks up and delivers small aircraft anywhere in the country. Let's welcome to the airwaves this dynamic guy, Robert Kelker Kelly. Hi, Robert. Hey, Jim. How are you? <laughs> good. How are you? I'm good. Poor Little World is defunct. Oh, my gosh. That's sad. What? <sighs> That they're, they're, that? Punks. they're not there anymore, that they're now dead. Uh, another world has, has gone the way of the dinosaur, the dodo. It was such yeah. a fun show to work on. Well, we, we will be asking about that in a minute. Um, okay. <laughs> um, you chose to, let's just jump right in. You chose to forgo college, you, you did a little college, to pursue your acting career. What was your first job? And when, what did it teach you about the business? Uh, my first job in, in, in the film and television industry or yes. the first job in the acting industry? My acting first industry. job uh, uh, was uh, uh, working in film and television was on, uh, um, uh, what was it called, Miami Vice. Oh. Um, many, 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 many years ago, I uh, was a stand-in that I got to do background. Um and uh, uh, so I stand, stood in while they were setting up the shots. Uh, I got to stand in for either Eddie or uh, or Don um, uh, uh, while they set up the lighting and the camera angles and things like that. And then uh, uh, once they finished lighting the stuff, the principals would come in and we would leave, go change costumes or whatever, and go do the background stuff. So it, it taught me a, a ton of patience. Um, and it taught me a lot about uh, uh, what Miami is like at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning uh, in, the 19, in the 1980s, which was very dangerous and fun. But it, uh, it taught me a lot of patience. It taught me that, you know, acting is mostly sitting around, and that carried through throughout the career into, into soaps. I mean, on days, when I worked on days, 14, 16, 18-hour days were pretty commonplace. Oh, wow. Now, you say that Miami was dangerous back then, it, it, oh, yeah. more so than now? 
Uh, I haven't been there for a while. It was uh, uh, in, in the early 80s, Miami had a series of riots. And uh, oh. I was there in 83, I think, 84. And uh, I was driving back from a shoot. We'd blown up a building somewhere um, in the Everglades. And I was driving back from the Everglades. And I got lost uh, in North Miami somewhere. And uh, I'm sure North Miami has changed. Please, any any listeners from North Miami, please forgive me. This was 25 years ago. Um, I got pulled over by a cop, and he said, uh, son, do you know where you are? I think he was wearing mirrored sunglasses at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, and uh, uh, I said, no. And he goes, okay, well, follow me out. And uh, uh, I was in an open co- uh, an open Jeep at the time. And then uh, 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 we were doing another shoot in downtown Miami at, uh, again, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. We, we'd blown up another building. It was the aftermath. And uh, there was a shooting down the street. Uh, and I was standing outside the building we'd blown up and uh, with a bunch of friends of mine who were uh, firemen, paramedics, cops, and uh, the cops were pretty blase, blase about it. I heard the gunshots and looked down the street and saw what was going on, and one guy said, shoot, it's going to be a long night. And, uh, so that was uh, that was kind of fascinating. Uh, yeah. That was a huh. long time ago. Well, it's interesting that they would choose a location to do it in that was so dangerous. I mean, that that kind of surprises me, actually. Well, have you been to? I mean, have you been to some of the studios in in Los Angeles? They're not in the best of neighborhoods. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So, plus they're looking more for ambiance. Oh, sure. You know, so that that makes sense. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, you would think. I mean, Lord knows, I would think. If you're at a location where there are, you know, 60 cop cars and, and fire trucks and their lights are going off, it might not be a good place to have <laughs> a gun battle. But you never know. I guess you're kind of uh, consumed with what you're doing, so the idea is not to look around. I don't know. It was, uh, it was an interesting experience. I bet. All right. Well, you started your daytime career on Another World as Sam Scholar. The storyline centered around Sam and Amanda, young lovers from opposite sides of the town, you know, of of the tracks. This was really the beginning of the emergence of the young love on soaps. What was it like being a part of that campaign, which changed kind of daytime television? It was, it was, it was, was, for me, it was very different. Um, It was my first big job in, in soap operas. It was my first chance to really, um, start to play with that. I remember, I remember uh, with a, a lot of V smoke, um, because they 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 lit it very very softly. Um, they, uh, they had that great music soundtrack that they used for that. I mean, Miami Vice really started the, the, the soundtrack right. for uh, changing the soundtrack, and then and then Another World and the Soaps carried carried that through and picked that up. Right. Um, so. Uh, uh, there was a lot of really soft music to listen to. I mean, it was great music, uh, but we ended up shooting a lot of stuff with uh, bee smoke beforehand that would help soften the lighting. So, uh, um, you know, we'd be on a set getting ready to shoot, and and they would come in with a bee smoker, and uh, uh, the bee smoke would go everywhere, and if it was thick enough, um, it would really soften the view and soften the lighting. Unfortunately, if it was thick enough, it would also rip your throat to shreds, make it very difficult to see your co-star, um, 
and, and make the, the, the being able to focus on on the, the dialogue and the romance more difficult. Um, so I remember some days uh, we shot a, a series of commercials. One of them was a dance commercial. And by the end of the day, I remember thinking to myself, I must have lung cancer. <laughs> um, but uh, it was it was it was a, a ton of fun working with Sandy. And uh, they're great directors. I mean, uh, Donnie Scardino, who was um, a great Broadway director, director, and John Whitesell, who ended up um, going on to have a, a quite the film career. And that was a ton of fun. And I'm very grateful for the exper- exposure and the experience. Awesome. Um, after Another World, you went on to be cast as Bo Brady, as everyone knows, when Peter Reckel, um vacated the role. What kind of challenges did you face as an actor being a recast for, like, a popular role in actor? Well, I I, uh, I made the conscious choice at the time not to watch any of Peter's work. Uh-huh. I made the conscious choice at the time, um, probably arrogantly, to... Uh, 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 say to other people when they told me that Peter did it this way to say, well, that's fine, and I appreciate the input, but I'm not Peter, and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Um, I, 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 I stepped on a lot of toes doing that, oh. uh, which was an unfortunate choice politically. Um, from an actor's standpoint, from a choice as far as the, the uh, uh, I was an acting teacher. I have been an acting teacher. I still am an acting teacher, and and I always tell my students make the strong choice, no matter what. Um, make the choice that's going to stir up emotion in the audience and in your partners. Um, and so you get a very reactive, very improvisational kind of. That's my training is improv. Um, so you, you you tend to get a more emotional, visceral response. Um, politically, it wasn't very intelligent of me, um, and I, I've never been one to be very intelligent politically. Um, so uh, uh, the choice—I I made very strong choices to, and a very strong choice to. to, to uh, I respect Peter as an actor. Don't get me wrong; I think Peter is a great actor and a great guy. But I, I made that choice so I could I could make the role my own. My intention right. when I got there was to, to was to own the role, and I, I think I did for that short period of time that I was there. Absolutely, um, you did. So uh, that for that in that sense it worked, in the sense that it that it uh, um, uh, perhaps alienated some audience members and, and and alienated some people who had worked with Peter. Um, that was not the right choice to make. Oh well, bringing bringing that up, um, Robert, uh, don't. Don't you think that that when um, I mean, as you were saying, in a recast kind of situation, don't you kind of uh, face a double-edged sword anyway? As far as like you don't want to be so much like that person because you don't want the audience to say stop being that person. But you don't want to be so much like over here that they're like, oh my God, they've lost the essence of the character. And then you have also the politics of everything that's going on backstage. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly tough position to be put in. I mean, I, I worked with M uh, on General Hospital. I got to, you know, stab her. I got to slime all over this poor girl um, and uh, 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 
fortunately, I warned her about it beforehand. Um, but I got to I got to work with this wonderful lady who was the recast for the role. Right. And and she's walking through the same issues that every recast has has walked through, and she's doing it with grace and dignity. Is it making people's reactions any less uh, strong? No. But she's doing it. I wish I had her grace. She's right. so nice and so professional and so pleasant through the process that if you get to meet her and get to get to work with her, um, she's just she's just very, very graceful through the process. And so I think I think in the process of doing that and just being the person she is, she's not abrasive at all. She's very gentle and she's got this wonderful bubbly personality. And she brings it on set, so I think she's won over the actors that she's worked with, who worked with the previous woman, and right. probably felt a lot of loyalty towards her, which right. you know I completely I can completely respect. If if I had to do Bo Brady again, I would I would take a completely different path. Right. I mean, I wouldn't make the strong acting choices. I would just be more sensitive to the people around me. And watching M do that, um, she's quite. Uh, uh, She's quite an actress. I was I was quite smitten with her as an individual and as a professional when I when I worked with her on GH this last time. Oh, that's that's awesome. Well, you you live and learn, and and as uh, as you say, it was a very difficult place to be, and yeah. any recast is. But I think that uh, I think that the politics of things. Um, has, uh, I think back then it was really bad because um, I think that was when they were really starting to war <laughs> backstage and a lot of things were, I mean, everything now is out on, in, in the Internet. I mean, Robert, yeah. now yeah. If, if you went through that, everybody would know what you had done. <laughs> um, and that's, that's one of the reasons I wanted to get out of the business. It was one of the reasons because it, it started to kick in in the late 90s. Right. Uh, when I was in another world, the second time the blogs became very, very potent. Did you see that piece about uh, um, what was it? Mary Louise Parker um, oh. was actually pulling out of the industry because she says it's just too it's too mean. People are too mean on the internet. Oh no, I didn't. Yeah, she's the, she's the one. I want to make sure I'm getting the actress right. She's the woman who's in Red and Red Two with Bruce Willis. She was in West Wing. I think that's Mary uh, Louise Parker. I think. Um, let me look it up. Yeah, I don't have access to the internet. I'm actually driving around um, the desert in Tucson <laughs> on my phone talking to you because I don't want to go back to the hotel. It'll be depressing. Um, oh. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Let me let me let me check that really quick. I've got it right here. Let me. Um, that's that's. Uh, you know that's quite a that's a, quite a statement for an actor to make. That uh, an actor an actor of her caliber exactly and, and career right yeah um, yeah she was the actress in Weeds whatever that show was oh right okay I think hold on one second um, I'll go on to the next thing come back to it. Okay. Okay, with all the exposure of playing the role of Old Brady, like, uh, it was a huge character. Um, what were the effects of that kind of exposure on you personally, on your personal life? Um, 
in a lot of ways, that was um, it was huge. I mean, my God, it was just huge. Um, one of the things that I like now is uh, that I have a certain anonymity. I like meeting new people. I like getting to know new people. I like finding out uh, who they are. I, I like you know, one of the great things about flying, and it's like I, I've gotten to know this guy in a sim who's got five kids, two of them adopted from Lithuania, and just hearing about this guy's life. I like asking those questions and, and finding out these stories. And, and when you're on the television all the time and you become, you reach a, a certain amount of exposure, which Bo Brady was, the opportunity to do that is lessened right. by a huge amount um, because, you know, people don't allow you uh, that same kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Transparency? Yeah, yeah, because they have an expectation, and they also want to find out because they're interested in the soaps and they're interested in in, in what the world is like, and, and there's that, oh, my God, you're on television kind of thing. Right. And instead it was me, guy, uh, two guys sitting in a simulator, and we're, we're, we're talking between uh, uh, in between sim rides and, and chatting about life, and I'm, it's just a fascinating life. And, and being on television – and having someone else know that sometimes, more often than not, precluded the opportunity to have a give and a take. It's more, um, um, it's on a more even keel. Does that make sense, or more equitable? It, it, it does. It, it's on. It's an honesty. Um, like in other words, what you're saying is, when you're an actor, there's a certain, there's a certain expectation probably yeah. that you have that you don't know if these people are talking to you because they actually are interested or just because of who you are. Yes, exactly. There's there's that side of it. There's also a sense of um uh uh and again I can't I can't sit in somebody else's shoes so I'm making some assumptions and I'm making some some uh uh some leaps uh, as far as what I think they're thinking, which is silly. Um in, in the face of things. But you know, yeah, you make some assumptions and, and I get I got uh uh, a little bit more withdrawn because there were people who were trying to uh, take stuff or get stuff or get something. Um, and, and so I became very withdrawn and very uh, uh, um, insular in my in my exposure to people and, and, and I lost the ability for a long time to feel like I could go out there and just be who I was, not worry about whether or not someone was going to blog about it or whether someone would you know, yeah. What, what I hated to hear is, you know, I, met, I would meet somebody and then I would think they were nice and we'd have a good conversation, and then I'd see on a, on a blog somewhere I'd see uh, I met Robert Cocker Kelly the other day. What an asshole! Yeah. Um, and and you know that that I can't. I don't know. I don't care who you are. That hurts. Of course. You know that's that's gonna that's gonna hurt you. And I you know and being an actor is being a fairly sensitive person. Yeah. You know? Um, so again, I'm not making excuses, and I'm not looking. For, I'm not being a martyr, but I'm not whining about it. It is what it is. Um, right. But it started. It, it started. You know, I just made me want to go. Okay, you know something? I don't. I don't necessarily want to do this anymore. Um, so that's the time I started seriously considering um, trying to figure out how the hell I was going to make a living 
uh, and not be an actor anymore. What was I going to do? Um, so that was the beginning of, of me starting to say, okay, i got to expand my horizons and look for something else besides acting. Wow. That's a huge, that's a huge leap in, in, uh, for you. Um, what, what made it about, we'll get back to Stavros. We'll, we'll talk about Stavros for sure, but, but now that we're on the flying, um, what made it, like, what transitioned you to flying and wanting to become a pilot? Uh, my dad was a pilot. I grew up around airplanes. Um, I, I've always liked them. I thought they were cool. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just childish enough and boyish enough to say, if I'm going to have a career, I want it to be a cool career. Um, uh, uh, you know, look, ask a boy what he wants to do. He wants to be a fireman, a policeman, used to be astronaut, used to be pilot, not so much anymore. Right. Um, CEO was not in the lexicon when I was a kid. So, you know, I looked at the things that I wanted to do that, and I had exposure to that I thought would be interesting and kind of cool and fun. And um, I started out by, uh, 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 there's a certain amount of anxiety factor about, okay, uh, they fly. I don't know how they fly, and I want to know how they work before I get in them. Okay. So I, I, I went to mechanic school first, and I got my uh, A&P certificate. So that's airframe and power plant mechanic. I'm actually certified to work on airplanes. And have. Um, I can fix things, which is terrifying. Think about that. Um, <laughs> and uh, 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 learned how to do that. And then I was trying to figure out a way to make enough money so I could get my flying, my ratings, so I could fly while I was doing the, uh, I was turning wrenches. And then the general hospital offer came up. And uh, 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 there were a couple of things that uh, uh, really intrigued me about the general hospital offer. Number one was working with my friend Jill, um, Jill Farron Phelps, who yeah. uh, uh, she actually, when we first met, when I was in another world, she was exactly on another world. She actually told me, I sat in her office, she goes, they told me to hire you. I didn't want to hire you. I don't like you. And, oh, my uh, it, probably wasn't, it probably wasn't that harsh, but it was, it was definitely the sense of, um, I think NBC kind of shoved, her down her, shoved me down her throat. But uh, we ended up working and becoming really great friends, and are still great friends. I actually called her last night. And uh, um, so working with Jill was, was a plus. And, and plus, I, I, uh, I've always wanted to play a villain. Ooh. Always. Always. <laughs> and, and the chance to work with Jeannie Francis and Tony Geary, um, what actor worth his salt wouldn't say, yes, me, pick me, please pick me. Um, and I got lucky enough, and they did. Uh, and so I, I stopped, uh, I went to my boss at the maintenance facility and said, look, uh, you know what I used to do? I'd like to go do this for a little while. Can I take a leave of absence? And they said, yeah. Um, and I went to do general hospital. Okay, let's let's revert back to Stavros now. <laughs> Where is Stavros now? <laughs> this is very interesting. I've never had to go back and forth, but anyway. Um, okay, so no worries. No, this is great. Um, Stavros Castanine, you you started in 2001, and obviously everyone knows that that was the year that we had 9/11. And actually, um, on the show, I know when it was airing. That was around the time that 
um, they were getting ready to, I think, bomb the hospital or something, and it never happened on screen. Uh, I, I believe, you know, I think it was all over the press that it had to be rewritten because it wasn't um, appropriate after something and that ab- weird. Absolutely right. The story that I got, and I, again, I'm not an insider, but the story that I got was uh, 9-11 happened. Uh, Disney, which owns, uh, at least at the time, owned uh, ABC, um, called, up, uh, called up ABC and then ABC called Joe and said, got to lose it. Got to stop it. Not appropriate not for what just happened. And absolutely rightly so. And, uh, um, you know, the, the funny thing about it was, and this is me being a selfish git, is what a horrible thing to have happen. Um, that show, uh, I, I love the role. I love the people I work with, and I really wanted that one to work long-term. And uh, things happen for a reason. I'm a firm believer that, that God takes us places that uh, we don't necessarily want to go, sometimes kicking and screaming, but we just don't know the gifts that are given to us. Absolutely. So that that job shutting down so quickly gave me the opportunity to do what I'm doing now, which I'm so grateful for. I'm, I'm really sorry that... Um, I'm really sorry that that happened, had to happen to those people and to the country. Um and at the time, I was very, very, uh, I was understanding of what, what was going on and why it was going on, but there was a certain amount of um, my selfishness kind of went, oh, well, shoot. Um, oh, of course. Which is, you know, which is, uh, uh, again, um, I, I, you know, selfish, self-centered, and self-obsessed, some people are, and I work really hard not to be, but fail miserably at times. Um, sure. But, uh, um, yeah, they, they said, put the kibosh on it, and I was gone. I think I was gone eight days later. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was, it was, it was pretty quick. It was quick. It was very quick. Um, well, I mean, I think I think we're all guilty of that. Uh, Robert, not just you, and I think that, you know, you're also talking about your livelihood at that point, and that's something that you can't just, you know, it's not just you being selfish, it's, it's you being, you know, when I... My job is gone now. Yeah. <laughs> look, oh, yeah. look at the, you know, look at the economy right now. I mean, yeah. Yeah. this is going oh, on everything. Well, it's it's since nine nine eleven, and and uh, uh, I mean, aviation. I chose a career in a in a in, a, in an industry that has just been whipsawed mm-hmm. with since nine eleven, um, and since uh, the crash of two thousand and seven. I mean, right. you know, then the country took a probably what a forty-five. I mean, the statistics. I, I don't look at statistics, but forty to fifty percent of the people in, in in the country were either laid off, or their jobs were affected, or their pay scales yes. went down. Um, aviation took a seventy to eighty percent hit. Oh. Um, uh, there were flight crews. I mean, whole flight departments were fired within months of the crash of '07. Um, oh I know a guy who flew for the Ford Flight Department, and uh, you know that gaff of those CEOs flying to the um, to the, the 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 Senate hearings right. in Washington D.C. When the press got a hold of that, um, that whole flight the, the Ford Flight Department was it had been a flight department that had been there for over 50 years, 
And within days of the press getting a hold of that, uh, and, and a completely tone-deaf move by the people, the PR people and the, and the CEOs, I agree with that, but um, all those guys were laid off. Right. Um, and, and my friend, I know he ended up having to take a job flying out of China for a year and a half, and he had, he had three small babies. And that was, you know, the aviation industry across the board, that's just been, been it's just now starting to recover. So um, it's a, it's been a whipsaw as far as the economy goes. Uh, I don't know what the a- acting industry has been like in the last five to eight years, but uh, the industry that I'm in, it's been tough. Yeah, I mean, you went from one tough situation into a really tough situation. Oh, yeah. Um, well, what, um, what? okay, uh, going, going back to Stavros, what was it about Stavros that drew you to the character initially besides you wanted to play a villain? But this guy was seriously disturbed, um, uh, yeah. maniacal, <laughs> Schizophrenic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, name it. Uh, was it all of those things that you did? Well, uh, that's all the stuff. I, and, and and you know, the writing when we started out, when I, when, I, when Jill called me and she said, "Look, this role is coming up. Are you interested in auditioning for it?" I said, "Sure. What's what's the gig?" She goes, "About three months tops." And uh, she said, "This is the basic sketch, and 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 here's the script. Take a look." And I got the audition piece, and I think a lot of his craziness um, stemmed out of that audition piece, and, and I'd like to think what I did with it. I made the conscious choice to make this man as um, uh, I, I looked for the moments where he could whipsaw emotionally. Um, yeah. I wanted to make him childlike, and I wanted him to be as, as oh, good Lord. Do you remember a very, very old Star Trek episode uh, I'm not going to remember the name of it, um, but this guy has ultimate power, and he's this complete child. And at the end of the episode, his parents say, "Stop playing with your toys," and his toys are the the the, the crew of the Enterprise. Oh yes, yes. And I can't remember the name of the, the name of the character, the name of the. And I wanted this guy to have absolutely no clue and no understanding of the damage that he was doing. I wanted him to be a complete sociopath. So he had no empathy whatsoever with anyone that he was working with or dealing with and just was about me, 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 me. And uh, um, I made the conscious choice to make his history, his, his background, when I was going through his history in my head, to make him as damaged as I possibly could. Yep. I wanted to throw in a scene where he was actually laying in a bed sucking his thumb. <laughs> oh, that would have been <laughs> And it never, it never became appropriate. But that's the kind of guy I wanted this guy to be. So I'd like to think that his, his, his craziness was stuff that I brought, I brought to the table. And the writers went, "Ooh, that's cool. Let's play mm-hmm. with that." And uh, um, Jill would be able to tell you whether or not I'm, I'm being, you know, overly, uh, 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 I don't know, uh, patting myself in the back too much, um, which is entirely possible. Uh, but I, I made the conscious choice, no matter what the scene was, to find the moment where I could switch on a dime and go in the opposite direction emotionally. No, I can honestly tell you, because do you know there was a Stavros before that, right? Yeah. There was an, yeah, an original, right. And that was when Luke and Laura um, 
Laura came back and she wasn't supposed to be with Luke and Stavros showed up and Luke supposedly killed him or whatever. Anyway, he was never, um, he wasn't crazy. He was just, he was not what you added to him. I mean, you you added a, a twist of maniacal but funny and like, this guy's way out there. Uh, but you had layers with him, and especially, and I want to talk about when you came back in 2013, when you, you came back for the 50th, yeah. uh, so many people that I've talked to have said that you brought this amazing, like, oh, my God, Stavros was just this crazy, you know, mixed up, you know, just way out there, and they loved the way you played him. What... Yeah. um how is, what was it like for you coming back after 10 years to a character like this? Did you, like, kind of just pick it up and, and, and run with it and, and, like, you never were gone? Or was it like, okay, let's reinvent a little bit. Let's see what we can do with it. No, it was – the funny thing about it was is I, I, I got the opportunity to do I, – I allowed myself the freedom to go wherever the emotion took me. And uh, oh. uh, I, I said to myself, no matter what, because I went back and I, you know, and I, and I watched the stuff. This is way years ago. I didn't watch it recently, but years ago I went back and I watched the stuff that I did with Stavros the first time, and I thought to myself, I wasn't brave enough to make the choice to be absolutely fearless with everything. I was going so when I came back and, and the writing was there. I got to tell you, the writers nailed it. Um, the writing was there for me to do, to be absolutely fearless with the choices that I could make while I was doing those scenes, um, and the opportunity to, to, to the moment where, uh, uh, and I don't know if I hit it or not, but the moment where he's he's sitting on the on the opposite side of the window, um, and they've locked him in the room, they're about to freeze him again, and he's losing his love again. I wanted to be absolutely devastated by that to the point where he was pleading with them. Right. Don't take don't take my love away from me. And that kind of desperation and that kind of pathos. I wanted to do that, but at the same time I wanted to have another scene where you could see him just he is just a perpetrator of the worst kind of, of of invasion of a person's space. And M, God bless her, let me do things to her that were just creepy. Um, <laughs> and and let me let me become this perpetrator uh, and this emotional rapist. So he's 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 all over the place. And I made the conscious choice I was going to be pathetic and weak and devastated and emotionally there, yet in the same vein, I was going to be an emotional rapist. Wow. So that's what I wanted to do, and, 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 and I, think he, I think he attained that. Yes, 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 he did. All too well, Robert, I might add. Oh, Very good. creepy. I was, like, creeped out when I watched it. <laughs> good. Oh, God. I, 
I'm sitting, I'm sitting here and I'm talking about it, and I, ne- I have not verbalized this to anyone ever. This was all in my head, and I'm listening to myself talk, and I'm going, oh, this is so gross. No, um, no, 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 but you're an actor. This is what you created. This is, I mean, this is good drama. Yeah, it's, it's, it is, it is, it was fun, and God bless them for allowing me to do it. So. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think you should be back, guys, don't you think? Yeah. Everybody say hey, 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 hey. Um, um, yeah, it would be it would be great to have him back because uh, obviously when Stavros comes back and um, when he's messing and and now Luke is uh, supposed to supposedly be dying. So you know what better time? Hmm. You know Helena. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and Laura's gone after Luke, and so um, what was it like for you working with Tony and and Jeannie after all this time? It was like being back with family. Connie Towers, I mean, I have to say, Connie Towers is the classiest lady in show business. Um, yes, Jeannie and Tony are 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 so such class acts. The three of them together, it's just you know professional. You show up. You know, you, they do a really fine job. They they they're incredibly giving. They're incredibly willing to take risks. Um, and seeing Tony and Jeannie after all these years was just a gift from heaven. Truly, um, I love those folks. I have I have the highest respect for those folks, and and uh, I love them to death. So, being able to see them again was a gift. Truly, a gift. Yeah. Well. Uh, other people want to see you. Someone in the chat room said, ask if there are plans to have him return from the dead again. Uh, as of right now, I have not been contacted by uh, the folks at General Hospital. I have uh, um, um, let them know that I'm more than amenable to it, and they have left the door open. They said, we'll be in touch. Um, and, and my hope is that happens, because as of right now, there is no official... Um, uh, uh, intention to do that. At least they haven't told me about it. Of course, you know, the executive producer right now is very good at keeping things close to his vest. Yes. Um, and uh, when I got the call, it was a very short turnaround from when I got the call to my being able to do this uh, in, in a couple of months ago, a couple of three months ago. Uh, and they kept it really close to the vest. So uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping so, but I have no personal knowledge of that. Okay, well, I, I think there's going to be some campaigns to bring you back, is what I'm oh, being told in the so. chat room. Um, okay, so going back to your flying now, okay, you've been at Stavros, you went back to flying again. You're also an instructor for flying. Yes, yes. What, what kinds of challenges do you face that are different? I mean, I know you're a pilot and you're an experienced pilot, and you fly rear jets and things like that. What kind of what kind of challenges do you face as an instructor? <laughs> um, uh, well, when I was first instructing, they would try to your students would try to kill you on a on a daily basis. Oh um, God! And 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 that sounds like I'm joking, but I'm really kind of not. Um, and it wasn't malicious. It was just they simply don't have the understanding of how things work in three dimensions. Um, the, the 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 interesting thing about instructing is is you have to install in people a respect and an understanding that 
um, uh, it is entirely possible that you will do something wrong that could kill you and your family. Um, so there's a seriousness, seriousness. The the uh, what I bring to the table as a, as an instructor, uh, with the depth of experience that I have as a professional pilot, I get to sit down and say, no, you don't understand. This stuff, and, and you're not doing it willfully, and you're not doing it because your your intent is bad, but just simply because you don't have the experience doing it. It can kill you, and it can kill you very quickly. Um, thunderstorms, tornadoes, uh, wind shear, um, uh, a wake turbulence coming off of the, uh, uh, doing an approach close behind a jet in a little airplane can flip you over on your back in, in the space of a second, 500 feet above the ground. And, and you are literally, you have no time to react and no time to think, uh, and, and you're done. Um, so what I spend most of my time doing is trying to instill in my students an understanding of how to plan really far ahead and how to train yourself to think not only for the moments coming up in the next six seconds, but to think 15 seconds ahead, to think a minute ahead, to think five minutes ahead, to think an hour ahead. So their minds are constantly being active in going through working scenarios. And this is where the acting training happens and can assist in that because actors think in scenarios. Actors think in 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 uh, uh, circumstances, imaginary circumstances. Right. And as a pilot, I'm constantly thinking about imaginary circumstances that could change the drop of a hat because of weather, because of mechanical difficulties, because of birds, because because of, of passengers becoming ill. I mean, we go through scenarios in the simulator today. We were losing engines. We were having tires blow up on the runway. We were having um, uh, problems with our control services, so we can't turn or climb, having problems with the instruments. And the, so we're constantly thinking to ourselves, okay, if this happens, what do I do next? And how do I, how do I get those chain of events to go to a, a, an outcome that's a positive outcome rather than a, a twisted ball of burning metal? Um, and that's the thing that, that, that I try to carry it to my students. Now, most of my students now are guys who either own their own airplanes, they've already got advanced ratings, and they're working on more advanced ratings, so they have experience. So what I do is I build on the experience that, I ha that they have. I, I spend a lot of time talking about them and their experiences and having them tell me stories about things they've learned. And then what I carry under the table is my stories from my professional career of saying, okay, this is the scenario this is what happened to me. Now tell me how you would have avoided that two steps back. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, there was a time, there was a point in time when I was doing an approach at night into a runway and I got caught in the wake turbulence of a bigger jet in front of me and uh, uh, did things to that little airplane that I was flying um, that were very scary. And uh, there are a number of, uh, of, of scenarios that I have in my career that, you know, because of my inexperience when I was first starting out, that, that could have um, caused serious damage to me in the airplane. Fortunately, I'm, I'm able to take those scenarios and say, this is what I did. Please don't do that. Ah. Uh, 
and uh, I, I, I gather the stories, you know, one of the things I did today and one of the things I love to be able to do with other pilots is I love to say, look, let's sit down and tell me your horror stories and let me carry that to my students. And those pilots that I talk to, most of the pilots that I've ever dealt with, have been very free and giving with the information saying, this is the scenario, this is what I did, this is what I did wrong, this is how I would do it better next time. And, and mm-hmm. we explore that in simulator training and that's the purpose of that, so that when the crap does hit the fan, you go, okay, I know what to do. I know what my out is. I know how to bring this down so that everybody walks away. Um, and understand, you know, I, I, I'm responsible for my own life, but I am terrified. I, I never, ever want to be responsible for the death of anyone or anyone's kids or anyone's parents or anyone's grandparents. And so I carry that responsibility in with me to my students, and I try to say to them, think about the consequences before you get into the airplane and ask yourself these questions. And if any one of those answers is no or a maybe, maybe you shouldn't go flying that day. Wow. So. Has it, have you ever had a situation where you just didn't know what you were going to do? No, um, no. I had very good training. I've, I've had very good simulator training, recurrent training. I've worked with some really, really great pilots who have been very free with their information and passing down how they got out of situations. So I've always been able to uh, uh, figure out a way out. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. It's, it can be that unforgiving. And it's true. It really can. And, and the great thing about it is, is, you know, we have the safest transportation system in the world. The, 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 uh, uh, you have a greater chance of being struck by lightning and winning the lottery on the same day than you do getting into a wreck in an airplane. Right. And that's because uh, 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 the Federal Aviation Administration, the pilots, uh, uh, the safety management systems that are in place, the training facilities, the knowledge that's being passed down from the people who are who are retiring or who have gotten older is very free. So there's this wealth of knowledge. So it's incredibly safe. Um, I've never been metal on an airplane. I've never been involved in any airplane that's ever had the metal bent. Um, I've never known any pilots that have had an accident that wasn't beyond their control. I've known um, a couple of pilots who've had accidents that uh, uh, one guy lost an engine over the water in Lake Erie. A single-engine airplane, nothing he could do about it. The engine just failed. Um, and it's only one of two that I know of for that specific engine type. I mean, I mean, we test these engines and these airframes to the point of absolute insanity, and they just don't fail. And when they do fail uh, catastrophically, when an engine fails catastrophically, it's usually something that was completely out of the control of anyone involved. Um, and he put it in the drink, yet he survived. He, he um, was able to, to ditch the airplane and survive the airplane. They found him. They were able to dredge that airplane. They spent a bunch of money. They pulled that airplane out of Lake Erie. They put it on chalks, and they figured out what happened, and it was a problem in the, in the, in the metallurgy of the engine that no one would have called. Oh, um, wow. uh, another guy, uh, same problem, single-engine airplane. They lost an engine. 
Um, and he put it down on the road. Everybody walked away. Good training, you know, good pilots, um, good solid airframes, and uh, everybody's walked away. So uh, um, it's a very safe system, and it's it's a it's a system that I'm very proud of to be a part of, and I hope I contribute to it. So, oh, um, obviously you do. Um, well, we want to thank you, Robert. Uh, again, if you want to see Savros back, I mean, he could come back from the dead again. I mean, he's come back like how many times now? Uh, he's come back quite more than more than a couple of times. I came back in 2007 a couple of times, and then 2013, and 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 write those letters because I like that that character. Um, and I love I love being able to 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 slime all over these lovely people. Um, so definitely write in, and, and uh, uh, Robert Kelker Kelly has been our guest. He's he's wonderful. Thank you so much for spending this time with us, Robert. If you'll just hold on the line for a second, I'll just uh, wrap up this show. You got it. Um, Thanks, Deb. And thank you so much for listening to me shout. Oh, absolutely. Um, this uh, this concludes our interview with Robert Kelker Kelly. Everybody have a good night. Again, uh, tomorrow night we have Kathleen Gotti, who's Dr. O on General Hospital. Have a good night.